Hi everyone, my name is Essen and you're listening to the Brown History Podcast. It's a busy time here in Toronto right now because it's the annual Toronto International Film Festival, TIFF for short. And thanks to the good folks at TIFF, I got to meet and talk to the iconic actress-director Nandita Das. A uh, pretty cool moment for me, I'm not gonna lie. She just directed her third movie, it's called Zui Gato. It's having its world premiere here in Toronto, so we're gonna talk about that her life, her work, and so much. And it's going to be a really cool episode. So thank you, Tiff, for making this happen. And special thanks to Nandida Data at Tiff for the constant support. Uh, there are two Nandidas here, so just don't get confused. But yeah, let's do this. Let's get this started. Here we go. Yeah. Try again. Hello, hello. How are you? Perfect. <laughs> Take care. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Hi. 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 Are you ready? Yes, Essen. Awesome. Uh, welcome to Toronto. Uh, Thank you. It's very exciting. You're back at the Toronto Film Festival. And this is the first Toronto Film Festival after the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So it's very ironic that your movie is <laughs> on uh, is about the pandemic. Well, it's set in the pandemic time, yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, you have such an illustrious career that I had a lot of trouble knowing where to start this interview and where <laughs> to start this conversation. But I thought it would be best to start in the year 1996 mm-hmm. because at that time, you did a movie called Fire, Deepa Mehta's, Deepa Mehta's Fire. And Fire was a very uh, bold movie, an important one. But because of its betrayal of a romantic relationship between two women, it made a lot of people, made some people... A lot of people, actually. A lot of people angry and even uncomfortable violent. Uncomfortable or... Yeah, some people angry and violent. A lot of people uncomfortable and some people felt really empowered. And <laughs> you're right. And there was violence and there was movie theaters being trashed, I think. Mm-hmm. So... I really I wanted to know how that script came to meet you and did you know what you were getting into before saying yes to it? Well, I never wanted to be an actor, you know. I was working in an NGO. I'd finished my master's in social work. I was very happy doing the work I was doing. And um, uh, through a common friend, Deepa kind of connected with me and, you know, told me about the script and she said, I'm going to audition you once you read it and we can discuss it. And I read the script and I was like, hmm, I come from a very progressive family. My father is a painter, mother a writer. And yet we don't really talk about these issues. And uh, so I kind of jumped into it. And then she said, I don't want to audition you because I just think you're perfect for the character. And then Shabana Azmi was cast in it. And I was like, listen, she's somebody I grew up watching. And are you sure you don't want to audition me? I've never really acted. And I've done a little bit of theater, a little bit of street theater. And then she said, no, I think you're fine. And uh, so, you know, when I was shooting, I just did it more for an experience and to tell this story that seemed so powerful. And we did feel that there would be some impact and there would be some controversy, but not to the extent that uh, we actually faced. I mean, like you said, you know, theaters were trashed. People were physically being pulled out of theaters who were watching. But the good part was that simultaneously, there were also a lot of protests. People were, you know, sort of coming onto the streets and saying, we should be allowed to watch what we want to watch. You know, there has to be a freedom of expression. And, you know, um, there were this whole conversation about, uh, at that time, there was no LGBTQA. It was just homosexuality, you know. So it was like, yeah, there there needs to be conversation about these issues. And so I think in 26 years, now when we look back, we've really come a long way. I mean, there are still many who 
are prejudiced or are uncomfortable, etc. But at least the conversation that started 26 years ago has slowly unfolded in a you know in a much bigger way. Um, the criminalization of homosexuality has been repealed. So at least that archaic law that we had is out. <laughs> yeah. And high time. Do you think that movie was a ripple in the wave that? I think so. I think yeah. Seldom do films actually impact in a way that you can see the impact you know it's yeah. more subliminal but I think with fire I would say that um, it definitely had a role to play in uh, just bringing this whole conversation about um, you know same-sex relationships about lack of choices women have all of that into the public domain and I think that really helped in even the law changing yeah well after the movie was released as you said there was a lot of violence how did that how did that make you feel after seeing the 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 backlash because that movie went viral mm. before viral was a thing did you yeah there was no social media then no, it right just, it would have been totally different had it been released in today's day and age yes did fire change the way you looked at movies and scripts after that i think that? so yeah i think it made me realize that we vilify the other very quickly and anything that doesn't work for our value system or you know whatever we think is quote unquote normal anything that's yeah. different is often vilified and i and i think that's become kind of a running theme in my work as well both as an actor and more so as a director that you know whether it's um, disparity of class of caste of religion of gender you know all these things where we create a sense of identity and the notion of the other is something that I think I deeply care for, and I, you know, my all my films are somewhat touching these yeah. aspects. Well, a lot of movie, your movies are are very have an important message and and really do create conversation, and even make people feel uncomfortable. You know, <laughs> as a director and as an actress, that must take a lot of confidence. Can you trace back where your confidence came from? A lot of confident people would say that it comes from supportive parents. Was was that the root of it for you, or do you think you just? developed it as you um, went. Well, I don't know about confidence so much, but I think... Guts. Yeah. Courage. <laughs> yeah, but you know, when you are doing what you believe in, you're not thinking of it as courage. You know, if you have strong convictions, I feel courage follows. You don't seek courage. You just you just want to be, you know, you want to just have strong convictions. You, If you believe in something, if I ask you your name 100 times, you're going to say the same name because you know that's your name, right? So if with that same strength, if we can actually believe that the world needs to be a different you know different type of the place that it is today so strife with violence and prejudice and fear and anger and all of that and if you want a different world you've got to be part of that change in your own little small way and through whatever little that you're doing so um, after fire also realized the power of cinema and that um, you know that films can actually trigger a lot of conversations it can evoke empathy which is something that the world could definitely do more with and uh, and and so i think also my parents definitely my upbringing helped my parents gave me a lot of freedom to think independently to do the things that i wanted to do never questioned as to why you want to do this or you know there was right. conversation they must but have been a bit was, worried well initially you. my yeah my father felt that film is like a shark and you know it makes it's all very commercial and oh, it's like going a sellout to, like a sellout because he's a bit of a purist and he's not even art is a bit of a commodity now but he's kind of stayed out of that market 
art market and even though he's respected and he's a very senior painter and all that but so he was a little worried about that but then he saw that you know I came from that same genes yeah. and I think having done also masters in social work not that a degree makes you a better or worse social worker but it definitely exposes you to so many different realities and you know creates a certain sense of sensitivity to those issues and the people that you work with you are more in touch with the real world and not just in your little bubble so i think all those life experiences whether of doing street play whether of growing up with my parents who were kind of altruistic and inclusive without these big words you know <laughs> like just by naturally yeah and the kind of friends that they had the people that you grow up with definitely all of those things impact you in the choices you make Well when you were starting out and, and, and as you said that your dad and your parents were you know exclusive and outside the bubble the Indian film industry is is somewhat of a bubble itself and <laughs> you're you're probably meeting a lot of people who I mean there's a lot of privilege I don't want to say I don't want to say what no, I want to say It is a privilege to even be able to you know make yeah, a film or be exactly. an actor you're at the top end of the hierarchy How did you feel being an outsider hierarchy. in this in this <laughs> industry Well I never wanted to be an actor and I think when you don't want to be something it frees you up in some ways okay. because you're not ambitious you have nowhere to reach you have nowhere to go you're just kind of you know yeah just sort of traveling and enjoying the journey a little more so I didn't feel the need to prove anything I didn't have to you know go through that casting couch or do small roles to then find a bigger role and all of that you know I started by playing a lead and I stumbled upon it mm-hmm. so and in other films also and i have done guest appearances and smaller parts but you know where i wanted to be part of that story i wanted to play that cameo because i felt like it was important um to that story so i've i've always been more driven by stories than even roles even as an actor yeah. which probably wasn't a very smart thing to do but i never really wanted to be an actor so i just felt like oh stories are fascinating so i think there was a director always in me wanting to tell my own stories So in 2008 I um, did my first debut directorial film called Firak and that also just I stumbled upon it because when the Gujarat riots happened in 2002 I was really deeply troubled and I did a series of talks called uh, Identity and the Notion of the Other yeah. and uh, I just realized doing these talks to 200 students or 300 had its own probably whatever it did but maybe this needs to be told through a film and you know maybe I could reach out to more people You made the movie in 2008 the Gujarat riots happened in 2002. Yeah, so but it took me time because I was years. initially well because initially it, it was, was just shift, so you know? overwhelming what ha- what was happening it was the first time we were watching images of you know violence because there was 24/7 television which wasn't there before that. Yeah. So um and then I did these series of talks for almost 2 years and then it took me 3 years to write the script because I'm not really a script writer I'd never directed a film I've not trained in it I never went to a film school. So from 2005 I started working on it. and then finally managed to shoot it in 2000 no maybe even earlier 2004 or something and then shot it in 2007 and 2008 is when um, we finally released it i mean that was a, that 
Farak was a was like a really big for for somebody who's new at this and it's mm-hmm. the first project. This was like a complex. huge cast, complex. Yeah, yeah, it was a very complex, sensitive, film. and and it was foolish, foolish for me yes. to do it as a first. And film. There, you know, my question again is like, mm-hmm. where does that confidence come from? Conviction again, you know, just just that compulsion belief. of wanting to tell this story and not realizing what you're chewing on, you know. Yeah. And it's only later, and you're like, oh my god, I've got like five different locations, five different sets of actors. It's an ensemble film. Can I even handle it? Yeah. And but you know, you've kind of mounted the tiger, and you just go with it. And and that's what happened even with Manto, my second film, which was in 2018 after 10 years. But it also took me six, seven years to just research and write and put the money together and put the cast. And but that too was overwhelming. I remember. the day i was going to take the first funding i told a close friend of mine i'm like i don't want to do this film i can't do it you know and she's like are you crazy you've been working at it for 6 years and i was like that's fine i thoroughly enjoyed knowing about that time and about manto and that world i don't want to do it i can't do it and you know there was a loss of courage in that moment and uh, then you know once you like decide to and then it's just you're just so caught up in the logistics of it that there's no time to think about anything it's like jumping off a yeah. plane um you better you know, land on your feet <laughs> <laughs> just like you know just like your movie fire uh this farak movie is still part of a of a conversation today you know yes i wish i mean i'm i don't know whether uh, i could make it today <laughs> well i mean you know this is a film in 2002 and and it's been uh 2008 14, 2008 sorry mm-hmm. and it's been 14 years since the movie right. came out but that Free subject social media and all that yes and the subject is still relevant, relevant. today I mean, just last month, eleven um, men who were involved in the riots were freed. So the Bilkis Bano case was just yes. the most heartbreaking thing, and that too coming on seventy fifth um, anniversary of our country. Like, yes, it was just the most. I mean, it gives me chills even now when like when we talk about it. Yeah. So you were part of the darkest beautiful campaign. Mm-hmm. You know, when you started your career, there was you know. A you are a woman and B you the dark, and then you want to be an actor. Wow, that's so, audacious. So when <laughs> when it came to colorism, you know how did that? What are the challenges you faced in your career? So I was already working on issues of women before getting into films. Yeah. So when in 2013 this organization called Women of Worth they approached me saying we have this campaign and will you support it? And I was like, yeah, I'm happy to support it, but I don't know whether it really merits a standalone. attention you know because i thought women were dealing with so much more whether it was sexual violence whether it was lack of choices whether it was female feticide and dowry debts and just like unending issues and i thought well i mean i'm dark so i know what it feels and the kind of comments that you hear all your life but because my parents didn't put that complex in me i wasn't sort of overburdened by it i didn't define my own self as this thing that oh i'm a dark woman you know there was hopefully more to me and to all other dark women than that but i was completely wrong because i gave them just a small quote and a photograph and they put it out there and it became completely viral and suddenly i was getting all these media inquiries not just from india from outside and i think i just touched that raw nerve and probably that campaign just needed a face that was not getting lighter with every film which was still dark you know and um, no names given but you know that a lot of the actors who came in as dark and dusky as they always used to describe me in pretty much every interview that they, they, they always felt the need to qualify me yeah 
and say, oh, she's dark and dusky, Nandita Das. You didn't take it personally, mm. like, to the heart? Well, I mean, I know. It wasn't, it I mean, it was, the funny part was that sometimes they would write about this campaign and my involvement, and then they would lighten the photograph in post-production, you know, or like in uh, Photoshop. And I was like, wow, this is the, it's so deeply ingrained, the prejudice, and uh, it's so omnipresent in our visuals, whether it's hoardings, magazines, films, television, everywhere that you know in a country which is probably 80% dark in various shades of browns is uh, so complex and you know you're made to feel you're just not worthwhile worthy you know of who yeah. you are yeah. and uh, then the number of stories i've heard of you know just young women even men or even older women who've gone through it all their lives and i was like wow i didn't realize that it was this issue was so big and um, and then in 2019, I think, I did a music video called India's Got Color. Yeah. I was a little uncomfortable with this name of the campaign, like Dark is Beautiful. And I thought like, you know, who, who, whatever you are, you're, you're fine, you're comfortable. And the whole idea was that and not sort of burden women with this whole notion of beauty and all of that. And why should just dark be beautiful? You know, just be yourself is what I would say. But because diversity is an important issue to me in any case, because India is so full of diversity and yet we forget about it and we try to homogenize it. So I called uh, this little music video, uh, I called it India's Got Color. Just, and it had people of different shades of color from the lightest to the darkest. And just the fact that, you know, all of it is being Indian or being people or being human and be comfortable in you know, whatever skin you are in. Do you think the colorism is significantly the issue dropped since you started out, or do you think it's still the same? Well, I mean, it's still a lot, have we, but have it we has the con- as a society? And, yeah. But the conversation has begun. A lot of the ads changed their uh, like yeah. the the advertising council actually came up with this rule that you cannot use this word, like even fair and lovely. Of course, they had to. They just change it to glow and lovely or something. But even you know, if if you do lip service, you have to begin somewhere. And um, the rules became more strict for the skin whitening products. Um, A lot more women started feeling comfortable. A lot of other campaigns, it gave birth to a lot of other campaigns about colorism. So I think, yeah, the needle is moving slowly because it's such a multi-billion industry, uh, this whole whitening industry, you know. So it's not going to go so It's a powerful beast. It's a powerful beast. And many are complicit in it, so. You know, uh, your two movies that you directed, Farak and Amanto, they have this similar theme where you're exploring the both the good and the bad of a of a society in a certain situation. Yeah, I mean, you're just showing it as a mirror, a right? You're yeah, just sort of exactly. showing a mirror to what's you know, actually happening. So I'm curious, you know, uh, you know, art can tackle social issues. It could, it could. It's a vehicle used to fight the system. It's a form of protest, a form of dissent to fight the uh, mm-hmm. uh, the status quo, the taboos, mm-hmm. you know, and support freedom of expression. So I wonder how you feel about the Indian film industry now, because I can argue that the same medium, art, is being used for propaganda. Is, can is be being used to to promote and, and regressive ideas and yes, yeah. and and you can even say that the artists. There are many artists who go along with it too, and I can also say that it works because it makes money. Yep. which says a Sadly. lot about our society in general. So I want to know... Yeah, I mean, I grew in up In this thinking, generation. 
I grew up thinking that art was all the things that you said in the beginning, you know, that art reflected truth, art uh, created empathy, art is a mirror to our society, and, you know, art can create social change, art has the power of all of this, you know, and it's true, I think it does. I mean, we are also a product of all that we have read and seen and watched and, you know, we may not be able to cite each of those as examples, but we know that we are a cumulative um, impact of all of those things. But art is also a medium. And, you know, it all depends on what's your intention and how do you use that medium. So even during Hitler's time, he, you know, created a lot of these films that uh, propagated his ideology um, that made him look really good. And um, so that's always going to happen. And if you truly believe in freedom of expression and you are against censorship as a as a system, then you you can't sort of conveniently say that, oh, I don't, I want the freedom to tell my story, but the others are not allowed to tell theirs, whether right or wrong, or, you know, who are we to judge beyond a point? Like, it's always going to be subjective. So I feel that, yes, it's going to be, there are going to be films that are propaganda-driven or that are going to not, uh, their agendas are different or that are going to be misused for misinformation or they're going to have regressive ideas. But, you know, that's that's our perspective. I just feel the whole idea is that instead of saying that those films shouldn't be made, because they are going to be made, there are always going to be people who are going to have different perspectives, I just think that we should support more films that are progressive, that create empathy, you know, that build bridges. And, you know, and, and as audiences, we can do that. We can support those films. And slowly, hopefully, a society becomes more discerning. And then, you know... Finally, the films that truly last the test of time are the ones that really do create that change. And I want to believe that the films that have a different agenda can't last forever. Are you happy with the movies that are coming out of India currently? Uh, I don't watch much, so I'm not the right person to comment on it. I generally don't watch much. So how how mm-hmm. is the the movie you know takes place during the pandemic you know so how do you how were sorry did the idea of the movie uh, was conceived during pandemic was that keeping you busy yeah in the sense after Manto which was an exhausting process yeah. um, you know it kind of finished and then I did a book on my journey of Manto and it was like a big coffee table book wow. with lots of photographs and a uh, um, lot of things that I wrote about it uh, it was called Manto and I. And so it was my journey with Manto, the film, and the person as well. And uh, so then, and then the pandemic hit, and I wanted to anyway do a small, intimate film, something simple, but films are never simple to make. And uh, then, um, you know, we were all ordering food, and, and you know, they were, it was contactless delivery, so we never saw these people. And uh, one day I was talking to a friend of mine and uh, he runs a big sort of online media company and we were just talking about the anxiety around unemployment and what the gig economy, was it really creating more jobs or was it dehumanizing people or was it was the tussle between man and algorithm you know sort of replacing the tussle between man and machine that's something like what Chaplin depicted in modern times his film and you know so through those conversations I did a short uh, I I mean we wrote a uh, short um, script for a short film and then we went to Applause Entertainment um, and Samir Nair, the CEO of the company, 
and he was like really i really like this story why don't you make it into a feature film mm. and i was like no this doesn't lend itself to a feature film and it's a 20 minute one day story of a food delivery rider and he kind of nudged me and i the more i delved into the subject and i felt yeah it totally deserves a full length film and also the wife's character i don't know if you've seen the film but if you it. haven't do watch it please I will, again I will, I, <laughs> it's tomorrow evening tomorrow evening i know and tomorrow shows are you going to be so, there yeah okay and kapil sharma the main lead is going to be there oh, as yeah. well <laughs> who's really popular yeah. but he's not uh, he's not a comedian in this film no. <laughs> far from it so yeah so we just sort of you know the more i sort of got into it and the character that kapil's playing and his wife's character that shana goswami is playing and just that world and that world even if you do a film about the gig economy worker and his family it's not without all other disparities that exist whether of class whether of religion whether of gender whether of caste so it's kind of woven in to that fabric of our society which is what it is it's layers today. it's got layers and hopefully nuances well, when i watched some of the footage i one thing you notice is that it's it's a lot lighter than your last two movies <laughs> yeah well every film is different and every film deserves a different treatment and you know it's this i don't see it as serious or light i mean it it it's it's more lightly touched because monto was a very heavy intense, film intense yes. film and i've just done three films and before that firaq was also kind of intense very intense and uh, but i just did a yeah comparatively but i just did uh, an interview and the producer saw it and he was this white man so you know didn't know the context of it so much but he he said i was anxious throughout the film and i could feel the fear of this man so you know it also depends where you're coming from and what are your life experiences and what you take from the film so it's a slice of life it's a small intimate look at these people who are hidden in plain sight who are all around us but you know and for our conveniences we use their services but don't know much about no. it no how did uh, kapil sharma come on board because <laughs> he's known for being a comedian right and i you know i don't have a television for last like 7 8 years wow. so i'd never watched his show i knew what he kind of looked like so you had no so idea who he was i don't know i mean i didn't know how big he was or, or what funny. was his show like or is he a good actor or not I had seen nothing. I'd just seen his images here and there. And then I was just, you know, struggling with the casting. I'd written it for two other actors, but the actor dates kept changing because of the pandemic. A lot of films got pushed. Yes. So it was really a mess and my schedule also kept getting changed. So and then I was just surfing the net and looking for something else and then his video popped up. He and Karan Johar were presenting some award function. and i just saw it and i was like wow this guy kind of represents an ordinary man even though he's no more ordinary and um and he there is a kind of a candid naturalness that he comes with and um he's not one of those actors who's too predictable because he's not done too much of this kind of work that's true yeah you know and i just thought that he was a clean slate and uh, it would be interesting to explore it so i uh, messaged my casting director and i was like can you get me kapil sharma's number and he was like what he's not going to do it he's probably not even right for it you know and he's a comedian have you seen his show i said no i haven't he was like okay look at you have some you know the channel that it's on sony and i was like no i don't have uh-huh. it so he was like okay then you, can you see something on instagram so i looked at looked him up and there were just these snippets and i was like well i mean whatever is happening around he is just natural and he's just effortless and he's just 
candid and and I thought okay I'm going to talk to so I messaged him and he promptly responded was you surprised and and I was like, yeah I mean I I'm a compulsive responder so I don't think it's surprising for people to respond I think you should respond no, was I he respond to was everybody he surprised that you oh yeah he was totally like, sep- like surprised me? he was like yeah he did that was his first question that's funny and then he said acha like why do you want to cast me and can i read the script i was like sure and can i meet you and i said then then i met him and i just found him so easy with himself and his body language and there was kind of you know and when people are not affected and they are just easy it's like half the battle won and if they look the part and he totally did and uh, he read the script and he was like hmm like nothing much really happens so but everyone's telling me if i really want to do something good i should do this film with you so the way he was like i said yeah who is this everybody mm-hmm. he's like yeah a lot of people seem to respect you <laughs> so he knew nothing about me That's funny. i knew nothing about him we came from two different worlds well, yeah. but we kind of just hit it off and uh, and he was wonderful and he just sort of you know eased into it and he completely submitted to the process and to whatever my vision was and he was really easy with other actors and he and shahana goswami who plays his wife's character who's wonderful in the film as well and um their chemistry was really good so it really feels like a family like even the kids everyone was saying like where did you find this family they totally look like a family That's so cute. yeah so i hope you all listeners and you as in can watch it. <laughs> We're excited. Um my last question is um you know once this movie is done and it's out and everyone sees it what are your plans for future projects? Yeah, so I have um I mean with my long gap of 10 years and then 4 years and the gap is sort of decreasing. Yes. I have already signed a project oh, yeah? maybe too soon. Um I started sort of on the side just thinking about it and researching a bit. So it's an acting see. gig or it's a no, it's a direction. Are you you're yeah. not too I mean I'm doing a little bit of acting about it, then no I can't it's no? too early it? I myself don't know much about okay. it. All so right. I'm still kind of exploring but it's an interesting powerful strong film and I know it's going to impact me like every film does. Awesome. <laughs> uh thank you so much thank for you. doing this. This was a pleasure and an honor. Thank I've you. seen you I've watched <laughs> you from you know for a long time and this is a uh, very surreal. So you thank you so much. You were in your shots and in school. Tell me that and no, remind no. me how old I am. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm just getting wiser and calmer so it's okay. Me too. <laughs> so yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much and uh yeah. Great. Uh good luck Thanks. with the movie. Thank you so thank much. You. Bye. Bye. I'll put the, like I'll put the <laughs> applause sound effects and we're good to go. Mm-mm-mm.